Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Honest Conversations with Alex Cubis, brought to you by Nova. In this episode, I chat with publicist producer Jessica Carrera, one-fifth of the Dollhouse production company alongside actors like Crew Boylan and Rose Byrne, and director and founder of the Carrera Press Agency. She recently produced the Lexus Fellowship winning short film My Boy Oleg, written and directed by Sundance 2018 International Short Jury Prize winner Goran Solevsky. Jess is also a recipient of Screen Australia's Enterprise People funding to work alongside renowned producer Robin Kershaw. In this episode, she offers many valuable insights about talent management, marketing, strategy, and building a career in entertainment. How did she get her start? What's her first piece of advice to up-and-coming industry talent? Well, listen in to find out. In addition to proving how a person can truly be a successful multi-hyphenate, Jess is a fantastic example of how success in the industry is built on collaboration, care, and supporting others. I am sitting with... Jess Carrera. Jess Carrera. How would you describe yourself? Would you say, if you were explaining your role in the industry to a kindergartner, how would you um, say, what would you say your roles are? Well, I mean, maybe I'd use blocks and say I'm a connector. Okay, Um, good, yeah. I have been in the industry for about 15 years or so, and I feel that, you know, very much of what I do as a publicist initially and now also in the producing space is about bringing people together, connecting them, relationship building, um, kind of a conjugate for, you know, creatives um, and trying to, yeah, bring them together to create work and, and obviously, you know, work with them both in terms of promotion and also as part of the creative process yeah. as a producer. Yeah, you get the full experience. Yeah. Um, as discussed, as I warned you before, I start off with my interviews with the same four questions. Right now, in the moment, as honestly as possible. Okay. What do you, <laughs> what do you think, feel, need and want? What do I think? Um, I think it's going to be an interesting Emmys tonight. Cool. I'm yeah. curious to see if the streaming services outweigh the HBOs of the world mm-hmm. in terms of awards. Yeah, we're in a period of change. Um, yeah, it's a very interesting, a very interesting time. Um, what do I need? I need an iPhone with a battery that never runs out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but that is wishful thinking because I do have a charger and I always forget to charge my charger. So, um, it's a bit of a curse. Um, what do I, what do I feel? Um, I actually feel quite inspired having come from Toronto. I've got an opportunity to watch some really great films and it was probably the first festival that I really made a very conscious decision that I wanted to got like make time to see films. So that was, um, that was great. And then... What do I, what do I want? Mm-hmm. Um, what do I want? Um, why is that question don't stump me? Yeah. yeah, I would like, I would like a lot of money so that I can be a patron of the arts. That would be, <laughs> that'd be great. Yeah, yes. don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So there's a couple of things that I'll probably get started on. One, it would be a conflation of what you said about what you do as a connector of people, mm-hmm. how you like label your role in the industry, and two, money and funding the arts. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a producer, uh, or you've arrived at that position as a culmination of years in the industry mm-hmm. being a publicist, uh, what motivates you or keeps you going being a producer when 
frequently in the indie space producers are really behind the scenes and they, they don't get a lot of credit. Is that ever an issue with you? Have you ever felt that you've wanted to be a director with your name more prominently on the poster or that that's never really been of concern to you and you're really happy just almost quite beautifully selflessly bringing people together? Um, I think, I think you certainly, I think if you want to, if you do something because you want credit and recognition, then that's the wrong probably, motivation. yeah, it's the yeah. wrong motivation. Um, and also possibly in the wrong industry sometimes yeah. because you don't always get, you know, that, um, kind of credit and pat on the back that you, um, often deserve. I mean, when I, you know, having worked as a publicist, like I never saw myself really, um, as being there to sort of like, I guess, serve anybody's needs or service them. I mean, obviously it is a service industry as such, but yeah. I made a very conscious decision when I went out, particularly on my own, um, with my own PR company that I really wanted to work with people that were collaborative, that were creatively collaborative. So it wasn't, you know, they were as much part of the process in terms of making things happen um, as I was and so that I would be able to, you know, steer them and give them advice. Um, but it's not very rewarding if you don't have that, you know, relationship and ability to do that. Um, so is that when you're saying you're working with people who are collaborators, is that specifically actors that are going out and making their own thing for you to then shepherd? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, example? and I think you know, actors, you know, working on film projects in terms of unit publicity, you know, working on, you know, top line strategy for brands or events or, you know, ambassadorships and negotiations, um, you know, anything that sort of falls into that PR um, and marketing realm. I don't, you know, someone's just really passive as part of that process. It's not as interesting for me. Yeah. Um, I need someone who's like willing to engage and willing to offer up ideas and, you know, it's, it should be enjoyable for both parties. And then, you know, the particularly for PR, it's often like a really um, immediate sort of, you know, outcome mm. of what you've achieved. So you can go, oh, look, we put our heads down together. We worked out a strategy. We wanted to do a certain amount of, say, online stories. We mm -hmm. wanted to get a television spot. We wanted to do Glossy Magazine, you, you know, and we did that together. We mapped out the path of how to do that. You know, you brought to the table what you needed to. You know, you did the homework that you needed to. Um, and I was able to go use that and go out and pitch. And now we're having this great, now we're both happy because we've both achieved something together. So like the visibility for them is obviously a tick, but it's rewarding for me because I've been able mm -hmm. to do that. And I think a lot of, you know, particularly early clients and even the clients that I love working with now are ones that are in that emerging space. They're the ones that, you know, are looking for their break or are looking for people to believe in them or need to get a green, need to get a green card or need to get a visa. Um, and they need, you know, they need someone to really just support them. And I think a lot of what I do is also, you know, it's, we have quite a personal relationship. We have quite a personal relationship. It's not, you know, that's obviously professional, but because they know me and they trust me, um, I just, I honestly feel like we achieve so much more um, because it's not like I'm trying to sell 
a two-dimensional, you know, water bottle. It's like I really know who they are and often, you know, have meetings with media and in conversations something comes up and I'm like, oh, that person is amazing, you know, great swimmer obsessed or with like, yeah. you know, this or, you know, they just went to this incredible island and you just went to a travel. Like, so things like that happen just because you know the people that you work with um, very well. And I don't even know if I answered the question. I think I just went off on this massive tangent. You covered a a lot of great stuff though. And also what I would say as a response to that is what you talked about, which was explaining the PR process and servicing and specifically an actor client. Yeah. That was very reminiscent of what the producing process is. Yeah. You're looking, you're speaking with a producer but yeah. speaking with a director or a writer, and then you go out trying to forge relationships to make the film happen, and then you get a result. So yeah. really, it was a natural transition for you? I think so. I feel like the two are really quite synergistic, and people, like, I'm at that stage now where, you know, I have a few smaller producing, you know, credits under my belt and developing a lot of work, and people are like, oh, what are you? Like, are you a publicist or are you a producer? And, you know, I feel like I'm both. Like, I'm both. I think yeah. I'll always be both. I think it's just... I mean, that question would be more appropriate in Australia, but if you're in LA, people don't bother asking those questions because everyone's a hyphenate. Right? A hyphenate, yeah, yeah. I love that word. Someone said, oh, you're a hyphenate. And I was like, I want to call myself a slashy, but a hyphenate, <laughs> a hyphenate sounds like a, a more professional term. But no, I mean, I think that the two, I think, you know, in both publicity and producing, you are managing people, you're managing relationships, you know, you're managing, you know, whole, like, particularly creatives there's a whole lot of other stuff that sits underneath just what they project and you know particularly with a writer like sometimes it's really personal material or sometimes they don't take feedback very well or sometimes they um have had bad experiences with you know producers in the past like directors sometimes they don't want to collaborate sometimes they do so I think you need to understand first and foremost how to work with people and how to bring you know the elements around them that support that will support them um and then to promote them promote the story I think it's pretty much the same with an actor it's the same process so you know obviously you're dealing with a much bigger entity when you're talking about a film um and in terms of differences I think the producing process is far slower. Um, yeah. You know, you just don't make a couple of phone calls and you've got something to show for your work as such. But, right. um, yeah, I think it's, you know, I think they're skills that um, are transferable. Mm-hmm. Um, and Publicity, having... I would, would you say that publicity is like a microcosm of, um, of producing a film? Yeah, abs- yeah. yeah, absolutely. And also it's like, you know, you bring in all the the people to, you know, do the physical elements of the film. But, like, as a producer, essentially, you're in order to get those people on board, you have to pitch, you have to sell the idea, you have to sell the vision, you have to sell the potential, you have to get people excited about, you know, the other people that they're working with. So Mm. uh, you're all, like, you're always, you have to PR yourself. You're constantly Mm. going, walking into rooms and, you know, trying to pitch as to why you're the best person for the job and Mm -hmm. why, you know that company should invest in you or that screen agency should invest in you. So, um, yeah, it just feels like those two things go, like, you know, work together really well. And because I've had that publicity background, it's really helped me, you know, to to transition into the producing background because I've always been thinking, you know, with that business mind and the outcome, you know, of an audience and where it sits and how to best 
you know, get what, you know, what are the threads that I know certain people are going to, you know, sort of latch on to. So, um, did you know that you always wanted to be a producer or was it an organic career transition? I mean, I never, I never knew what I wanted to do. And I feel like I might have a couple of careers. Um, I mean, I, when I finished school, I enrolled in law. I did like, I did like eight months of law at Sydney university. I felt a lot of pressure to do that because I didn't know what else I wanted to do and okay. everyone sort of was encouraging because I had the marks and mm-hmm. I was That's just... the reason why I did it at Sydney. You too. did it? Yeah. You did it? Oh, see, yeah. but did you finish it? See, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't finish it. <laughs> right. I didn't finish it because I was just like having studied so hard, you know, in the lead up to HSC, I just yeah. wanted a break, to, right. in all honesty, much to my mother's dismay. Um, and once, you know, I was all set up to go to uni. I had an amazing apartment. I was sharing with friends. Like, Where are you from originally? Um, from Sydney. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. but so we sort of moved, out, like, right. yeah, yeah, like, close to the, um, yeah, you know, close to, to uni. Like, all those elements that would make, you know, like, going to uni yeah. a really easy process. Um, but I just sort of rejected all of them. And then when it when kind of push came to shove, it was like, well, if you're not going to university, well, then you're not going to have any financial assistance mm-hmm. paying your rent. Um, so the reality of like finding full-time work. As an 18-year-old. Of, as an 18-year-old yeah. sort of like dawned on, you know, it was like, oh, what am I going to do? Um, and I worked in a bar and I worked in a shoe, I worked at a shoe store. I did all these like different odd jobs, but, yeah. you know, just part-time, you know, for maybe a month and then, I just through word of mouth found out that a talent agency was looking for an assistant. Um, I honestly didn't know much about them or about their client list um, because, you know, it, it, now in hindsight, being Shanahan Management, they didn't have any of that stuff kind okay. of available for yeah, yeah. active consumption. Mm-hmm. Um, there was always very much of an air of sort of mystery around yeah. them and the exclusivity yeah. of, of that. So I went and had a... Um, interview with Anne Churchill Brown and Julie Curran and and loved my shoes and the dogs really responded to me. Right. <laughs> um, there was two puppies in the office and that sort of started that they're like, oh, well, when do you want to start? And, and they're like, oh, when do you want me to start? And they're like, oh, today. And I was like, um, well, I guess I can call the shoe store and say I'm going to never be coming back. Yeah. Um, and I sort of started that day and that was like the beginning of a whole nother career path for me that began as you know I'd always loved film I've always loved literature my mum was an English teacher um you know I consumed you know theatre and 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 all those creative things but I never yeah I just never envisaged that it was like a career path I mean I um and it just kind of happened that way and I didn't think you had the obviously you've had you had the DNA for what you do now yeah yeah and I think I was just really, um, like going back to a question before about getting credit for things and, mm. and, and all of that, it's like I was really happy to be, I'd never had any desire to be, you know, that like forward facing. Mm. I never wanted to be, you know, an actor. I mean, I like the idea of directing, but would I be a director? I don't know, but I never needed that visibility. And so I think they recognise that early on, having had a, probably had a, you know, a track record of people who were desperate to, to get be, in the industry. Yeah, right, okay. Um, I didn't have that sense of desperation, yeah. but I certainly had an appreciation for what they did. And I think because I also didn't, you know, sort of see this world of acting as celebrity. 
I always saw it as a creative process, creative process and also like um, about having integrity in what you do. Um, I didn't, yeah, I was able to connect with those, uh, like those creative, you know, people at a very yeah. normal level. Yeah, like I didn't, right. you know. You they, saw them eye to eye as Yeah. Humans. That's a really interesting note. So even though you were never really, um, I guess, fixated on the notion of celebrity, yeah. you saw them as people, but then you ended up in PR. So would you say that the way that you see actors and creatives that are on uh, are your clients you see them just as people who are artists and then that's what almost makes yeah. your job easier in a way yeah absolutely and I I really respect what I do and I think mm-hmm. you know the people that I work with I really genuinely care about I really genuinely care about their longevity in the industry and so I all of my decisions in terms of the things that they can do to promote themselves come from that place so everything everything is about you know the integrity of the artist and how can they how can they have visibility but but still be seen as an actor or writer yeah yeah and it's not about and it's about working towards those you know those things that do bring that credibility as opposed to just you know publicity for the sake of publicity publicity. and I think which is a pretty common token now because of social media. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's probably what has set me apart from other people. Maybe, maybe in the past, I don't know, but that I don't, that I've always approached things, you know, with genuinely, you know, good intentions because mm-hmm. I'd like, I'd like to see those people have a, um, a long career, not just make, you know, a quick dollar out of, you know, Some something. Some big brother celebrity appearance or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just think as well because the work can be challenging, it can be exhausting, it mm-hmm. is a lot of hours, it is a lot of you know, going out and, you know, um, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, you put out a lot of energy. Like it has to, you have to And sometimes like not getting any you, back. Yeah, you have yeah. to really like what you, you like what you um, do, I think. So... Are you able to shed some light on the process of outside of, say, you mentioned before that it's pretty common for especially Australian actors to get press, which really helps with us getting visas and green cards. So outside of press for that purpose, Mm -hmm. are you able to shed some light on maybe, um, if you can refer to it generally, some examples of where uh, some exposure or some press move the needle in like a really meaningful way for an artist or for... um, for some people in the past going to show that it's not again that like I guess I want to sort of shed some light on the fact that actors aren't going on the covers of magazines just to be famous for their ego they're doing it for yeah meaningful reasons yeah well I think it's often and and you know once again talking about that idea of like collaboration like Mm -hmm. it's often um you know trying to make decisions that do that you know that can be potentially measured and you can't always measure if getting this getting as you know, a Daily Telegraph story yeah. is going to get you a job. Like, you can't always measure mm-hmm. that. Is it a contributing yeah, factor to it? Not a direct it? line between yeah, them. Yeah, maybe. But I know, like, many years ago there was a particular actress, um, this is when I was still working with an, with an agency, okay. who had been perceived as in a certain way as okay. being sort of very girl next door and, and not so glamorous and possibly not able to transition, you know, to Beyond a point that. of being, you know, someone who was... Um, yeah, really, like, kind of sexually aggressive and charged, and that was an underpinning element of her character. Oh, okay. Um, the character that she was auditioning for. Right. And, um, 
you know, internally agents thought that, you know, she'd be perfect for this role, but, you know, the producers and the casting agents didn't necessarily think um, the same see eye to eye. And we generated a particular photo shoot that had those, that, you know, led to those elements and was sort of quite transformative for her um, in terms of, you know, images that they hadn't seen before um, and that helped her get the role. Wow. And so it was like, and they directly identified as like, you so know, that was that published that, in a magazine. Yeah. And you guys basically sent it on and being like, look. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that was. That's a great example. That's, yeah. And yeah. that was A, strategic, but B, it was also, you know, a great opportunity. It was, you know, aligning her with high end fashion. Like it was all those, it was other elements too, but the main intention of that was, was to have images to showcase her in a different light. And I think. A lot of the time, you know, you use PR to, you know, transform people or redeem people Mm -hmm. um, or, um, yeah, help position, like, you know, position people who potentially don't have a voice outside of that. And, you know, it's having the stamp of approval. I mean, that's the difference between PR and advertising. Yeah. It's like having the stamp of approval from this third party, which you haven't paid for as yeah, such yeah. um then you know it gets other people excited too yeah. so it's like that other that other sense of endorsement that is helpful and so i guess pr is just constant endorsements do you know what i mean like a constantly reinforcing um reputation building reputation. and trusting that that building of a reputation will lead to a job or generating some sort of an opportunity and yeah yeah and i think you you know we automatically make assumptions about types of people or types mm-hmm. of actors by where we see them you know what mm-hmm. I mean like if we see them in a in a um you know gossip magazine mm-hmm. you know and paparazzi photos that look like they're being set up we make mm-hmm. a certain assumption about what type of person they are mm-hmm. if we see them doing a really like interesting interview and a very candid photo shoot we feel differently about them um so I think it's that you know you ensuring that where that person, how that person wants to be perceived themselves and how they should be perceived is is managed really well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, back to the kind of PR, PR side, but, you know, working with younger actors is much more scope um, because we're inventing that, whereas right, much cool. more established people, you're sort of managing it and so you're pulling, mm-hmm. you're pulling back. So there's a lot more no's. Um, and it's not tougher to like you know promote someone who's relatively fresh, but it's also exciting because you know you're laying the fun, the foundation. For the rest of their career, yeah, and I think you know in terms of wanting to transition to producing, like I, I have those same values. Like I really, yeah. you know, a lot of the people that I'm working with are first time writers or first time directors um, or relatively early career, um, and you know applying those those kind of elements that I've always applied in my PR world to those artists has been, yeah, has been helpful, I think. Are yeah. you able to share any of those details of the projects you're currently um, having development or you're actively producing in sort of the various stages and what that looks like day to day? Yeah, well, I mean, I think development... Because um, obviously the term can denote a wide range of things. Like sometimes if it's a, a film and development at a studio level, uh, 
that that means that they've paid a hundred grand for Danny Boyle to be writing it or whatever and yeah. in development. So what does that look like for you, especially in the Australian industry, if you yeah. put it in context? Yeah, well, I think in the Australian industry um, at this point in time, who knows if it'll be there forever, but, yeah. you know, we're really lucky to have, um, you know, amazing access to soft money. We have mm-hmm. um, a very engaged state and federal state and federal governments that do prioritise and invest in the arts and invest in filmmakers um, and more recently in gender parity and yeah. females in front of and behind the camera in diversity and Indigenous stories. So, you know, we have an amazing, you know, resource pool to access. You know, it's a, it's a huge benefit being an Australian yeah. for those reasons. Um, it's interesting when you go to American, you know, film festivals or international film festivals. And just to give context, it's an international film festival, but Jess was just at uh, TIFF last TIFF. week, Toronto International Film Festival. Yeah. Promoting uh, Desert Dash. Desert Dash. By Gracie Otto. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you meet independent producers, like, you know, early career independent yeah. producers. Yeah. And there's such a different mentality to the way they approach work and mm-hmm. they create produce work because they don't have those incentives in place so like you know there's a a different energy in terms of independent filmmaking like maybe you find that being in LA as well Mm -hmm. you know you get a phone call like hey let's go and do this we'll shoot next weekend and this mate will do this and this friend will do that Mm -hmm. whereas we have this you know incredible you know funding body over here in Australia but it's also bureaucratic, so, yeah, so you know. there's equally a lot of red tape that you need, still need to go through. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, like doing applications as such can take a month or more, like getting that information right to sell the project and mm-hmm. all those elements in place don't necessarily guarantee anything yeah. in the end. So That is a misconception. Some Americans have told me, you guys just get all your films paid for by the government, yeah. right? It's like, no, if, if everyone did that, then everyone in Australia would be making, making films. films. It can still be very hard to get those grants. Oh, so, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. hard, not just is it hard, but it's a lot of, um, you know, I think a lot of your own time and resources are yeah. put into that. It's not, it's not paid or it's not remunerated. Mm. So, yeah, I think a lot of development, for a producer is not is not remunerated. Right. So, yeah. you know, the priorities in terms of development is, you know, making sure you, you've got the best script writer and, like, yeah. they're obviously being paid in terms of their draft and often, like, another, like, a, um, a script editor or consultant who sort of comes in at various points in mm-hmm. time. Um, I mean, I am an independent producer. Our production company is independent. Um, we want to maintain that as much as possible. I know that there's often been, you can see in Australia, there's been a lot of great production companies that obviously set themselves up to, yeah. you know, to sort of sell or, or sell a share, you know, into international market. I think that's extra, extra, offers an extraordinary opportunity, to, you know, for to expand in terms of material, mm-hmm. um, but also you do lose a bit of that autonomy and freedom yeah, yeah. and choice. Um, maybe ask me in 10 years' time, I might say something different, <laughs> but, I mean, I feel really... Right now, you like, yeah. Yeah, you feel like you've got creative control. So when you're, again, if, if you're in the position of being an independent producer and sometimes you're working on spec or maybe you're working on projects for a while, really out of passion, what do you look for aside from... Obviously, the dollhouse being motivated to tell female stories yeah. and have females involved behind and in front of the camera. What do you look for in your in your content and in your stories that 
wakes you up and gets you excited to make those phone calls or have people read the script to help people get on board? Um, I think it's like a combination. I think it's a combination of factors. I mean, obviously a very kind of integral, but also base level, you know, um, if a script is good, a script is, you know, a script is good. I mean, there's a real art to being able to tell a story and a real art to be able to tell it cinematically, like that language um, is very different. Is sort of, I guess, very different than yeah. um, than say novelists. I mean, yeah. they are incredible novelists and incredible novels. Do they tr- will they translate into film? I guess some will. I guess mm-hmm. some won't. But I think you know, usually in the first kind of like ten to fifteen pages, if the screenwriter does have a really strong grasp of the language and the world, and and if there's a hook, I think really strong openings obviously amazing because when yeah. you're reading a lot of material, I mean, I try and read everything, um, but I know a lot of people that don't, that, you know, you've got like a 15-minute window and if not, and then it's another pile. Um, I particularly... Yeah, no, I was going to say yeah. that that's just the harsh reality of, yeah. I guess, yeah, of trying to sell material or even finding material. Sometimes it's hard to read past the first 10 pages if you're not in love with it, but then... If there's something else in the second half of the scripts, you can and you have the patience to find it. Sometimes it's just a matter of the writer reworking it. So it really depends. Um, but I was just on the idea of a strong opening. That is what I would say was the case, especially with Eagle Hawk. Like yeah. I didn't really know where it was going. That's what I loved about watching that. Which yeah. is that's a short film, guys. That that's not currently available online, though. No, not yet. Okay, yeah. but eventually look out for it. Hopefully, you can keep in touch with Dollhouse on social media, and then you'll see it eventually. Um, okay, cool. So, yeah, are you able to go into details about any of the projects you're currently working on, or is that sort of under wraps? Um, well, I mean, there's. I can share a little. I can share yeah. a little bit, but I'm always and I think there's a be, little bit. Obviously, yeah, that's yeah. about there. But I guess it's just like such a moving puzzle sometimes Mm -hmm. like things look really set and then they sort of dissipate and they come back together again Mm -hmm. but um I guess that a lot of the material that we have as you mentioned is obviously very sort of female driven I mean we're very motivated because it's a company and also me personally um to tell stories you know about ordinary women doing extraordinary things like they don't necessarily need to be um true stories Mm. but they need to have a unique point of view they need to have a distinctive voice um they need to be layered and transformative and i guess they need i I guess underneath all of that there needs to be a theme or a social issue that reflects where we are today or or connects like and resonates emotionally yeah something Um, definitely was apparent in my boy oleg for yeah. sure. Again, guys, another short film from the Dollhouse. Yeah. yeah. And that was and that short film in particular, which was directed by Goran Stolovesky, who's an incredible Glad you said his director. Name, yeah. yeah. Um I hope I said it right, Goran, because sometimes I get it wrong. Um director who won the International Short uh, Film Jury Prize at Sundance earlier this year. I'm very proud of him. Mm. I was there with him Great. um when that happened. But um, that was really an opportunity to look at motherhood from a very different perspective and obviously um, not necessarily just to celebratory one but, mm. um, but, you know, in a very kind of mother courage way like the sacrifices mothers need to make um, and that was obviously layered with a lot of, um, I guess, cultural uh, references in terms of our lead character 
um, being um, uh, Ukrainian mm -hmm. and her lover or lovers being um, from the um, African African descent. Mm -hmm. So it was something that looked at motherhood and race um, in a it was, it very was, yeah, different it way. It managed to intersect it, but it wasn't tokenistic. It just did it in a really authentic way, which is sometimes it's just a hard thing to do. Like if you were to say, if you were to give any advice to writers aspiring to do everything that you've just said with yeah. making something that shows maybe an ordinary person doing an extraordinary thing and then having all of these layers... Do you think that it's possible to distill that into like one piece of advice? Or from my perspective, I only just say, and I'm motivated by the idea, just be honest and then basically just be honest, like with whatever you want to say. Yeah. So how would you sort of express it to a creative? I think there needs to be a certain level of authenticity about what you're writing. Mm. writing. Um, I think... It's a different, there's certainly a different feeling that you get reading a story when it comes from a place, as you mentioned, of honesty. Mm. It comes from a place of of having been in that world or having felt, you know, whatever emotion it is you're trying to communicate versus um, creating someone else's voice. Yeah. And I think that there are, you know, I think there's a lot of writers that do that, a lot of that, and that's, and the reality is that's what people are often paid to do. Like mm -hmm. that's kind of the cash cow, you know, writing on other people's work, writing up, you know, contributing to series, like, you know, mm -hmm. having that ongoing, um, uh, yeah, I guess flow of material. And I think that's what a lot of people intend to do. But I, I guess particularly for me, like early, like at this point in time, like I, I like the people that are, um, that do have that authenticity and honesty that they're writing about something from a place that they know, um, particularly in the feature space, because, you know, it's going to be a long process. And, like, I guess by investing in the idea, you're also investing in the person yeah. and then you're investing in the story. And that's what kind of gets me most excited is that the most practical, pragmatic approach, sometimes yes, sometimes no, but I think that's what kind of keeps you going when mm -hmm. you're thinking about, when you're thinking about being in the industry, you're thinking about the time that it takes for things to happen, that you have to be, you know, you have to want to wake up in the middle of the night and take do a phone call about it. You have yeah. to, like, um, be willing to invest your own time and money. You have to be willing to make sacrifices. Like, if you don't feel that way about things mm -hmm. um, and you're not being paid a shitload of money, yeah. then you probably shouldn't you're be doing industry. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And going to, again, shepherding a project, and you mentioned before, sometimes the pieces fall away, sometimes they come back again. Yeah. And you need to let you need to let things flow organically, especially with something like a feature that can take years to get off the ground. Yeah. Um, I mentioned earlier to you that I've heard the comparison made. I think Brad Pitt was the guy that said it. With producing, it's almost like dating. You know, sometimes you need to figure it out. Sometimes it can be a hard landscape to navigate. you getting people to be attached to you for a long period of time, maybe even without making money. And that can happen at the very, at the highest level in Hollywood. Um, how do you navigate pushing something and being really persistent and almost to the point, because you really want to work hard, mm. then also playing it cool, I guess, to put it simply. Is that something, a lesson that you've personally learned? Or is it just, I think, of your own gut instincts as a good PR agent too, mm. that you've navigated it? Yeah, I think it, I think it shifts and changes. Like sometimes mm -hmm. you feel really confident in 
what you're doing and yeah. other times you feel like you question you question it um i think it's often just about timing um you know to use an example we have a feature project mm-hmm. um it's you know it's been in a really good place for a long time but a lot of the attachments including a lot of my business partners had children and that pushed things back right. and as that pushed things back the market somewhat changed okay. and there were changes that needed to be made to the script also to reflect that mm-hmm. um and so like whilst we were really close it's sort of like it sort of went you know it's dissipated and now it's come back together again so okay. i think it's sort of like you know, expands Life gets in a way. Yeah, expands yeah. and contracts, but then yeah. you know, then other stories come into the um, into the market, and then there's sometimes similarities or interest, and that makes your project more interesting yeah. or less interesting. So I think it, yeah, I think it sort of um, it varies. I mean, I guess in some way we're in a good position because um, you know, fe- there's a females are being prioritised. Um, you know, like diversity is really important to us as well. Mm-hmm. LGBTQI stories, like all those things that are genuinely of interest of us to us, are things that are, are having a moment. And I hope that that's just not one moment. I hope that that is something that continues. But um, I guess you know, come down to box office economics. Like if right. those films continue to succeed, then People it makes financial to sense yeah. to make you know films like that. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, material that um, has a bigger message underneath it. So, mm-hmm. you know, for instance, um, Seriously Rare, which is a project that Crew mm-hmm. Boylan has written, um, Rose Burns attached to, and Kate Woods attached to direct, which I'm producing with Robin Kershaw. Um, you know, that is about a girl who is obsessed with Dolly Partner, becomes a Dolly Partner oh, impersonator, cool. falls in love with the Kenny Rogers impersonator. Right. Um, but through being somebody else, she finds her true Herself. identity yeah. yeah and so I and that's guess that's a pretty universal story yeah. yeah and so I think underneath you know the um that journey it's about you know at a time when we when people really need to be accepted in all mm. shapes and you know shapes and forms um particularly in a in a world that seems to be um erring more towards online bullying and things like that it's like you know that is that is the underneath that is the theme of the story is being yeah. yourself and that is something that there is a bigger you know sort of message um behind mm-hmm. there's another project i have with shannon murphy and lachlan philpot which is about one of australia's first transgender identities um and that story in particular other than being um a reimagining of someone's life and trying to give a voice to a character that never really had a voice. Um, that is about rewrite. That's sort of about rewriting history as to um, acceptability of like you know trans trans characters in in particular. When's so, it set? Um, it's a period piece. Okay. Yeah, yeah set in the late much. yeah in the late eighteen um, hundreds. Uh, oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, and. Any advice to put it even more briefly? Um, do you have any? Actually, I'll ask first. What yeah. advice would you give yourself ten years ago? Um, or would you just let it let it, let Jess figure it out for herself? Um, I don't. I think I would have given myself lessons, advice. Right? I probably wouldn't listen. Have listened to it. Yeah. I've had guests say the same thing. My, my nature not yeah. to listen to it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> stubbornness. Yeah, okay. stubbornness. Obstinacy is a good thing in the industry. That's why you're a producer. Obviously. Yeah, but at the yeah. same time, I think. Um, probably people probably told me that 10 years ago, but now 
I can say it myself to someone who's 10 years younger than me, that, yeah, it's about so patience. Like, you really can't. You really can't. It's, it's, It's interesting. Like, being behind the camera is one of the one industries which I don't feel like has a expiration date like if right. you're an actor like if yeah. you're you know you can only play an actor for certain age yeah. groups and you can yeah. only play certain characters yeah look a certain way but i think if you're a writer or a director or a producer like most producers most um directors don't produce their first features until particularly women until they're in their 40s or later yeah. Yeah. so it's about um all those moments that lead up to that point. So yeah. I don't think had I not slogged out being a publicist and had that, you know, agency experience. Yeah. and Where you really, um, li- like you learned yeah. the ins and outs of the industry. Yeah. That's the best way to do it, I guess. Yeah, I don't think that I'd be able to have been able to make a transition into producing as easily, like mm-hmm. without having gone through, you know, like three years or of afters or anything like that. Like okay. people, you know, people accepted me as, being a producer, you know, quite naturally. I mean, some mm. people will still question it and, like, I'm still got a lot to prove, but, you know, it wasn't, like, it wasn't a huge, like, leap to yep. make. Um, and so, yeah, I think it is about sort of patience and and even when it comes to projects, it's like creativity takes time. Yep. Um, you can't, sometimes the answers don't come it, yeah. immediately. Um, unless it's in, you have an audition tomorrow and you have to figure out the character. Yeah, except you have, unless yeah. you have a deadline. But yeah. I think a lot of things, yeah, there aren't, um, the deadlines don't exist. So I think have more patience, have more patience okay. and to also be um, more proactive in, um, in upskilling myself. Like oh, I think okay. I... Probably, I'm like. What would be a specific example? Well, I just think I didn't. Um, I was so focused on, I was so focused on other people's success that I sort okay. of forgot that, like maybe I might want to do something else. Okay. Later on, so I didn't really right. like. It's only really now that so I'm. So do you like, mean literally like doing a course or something? Not even doing a course, but just like, uh, like, like finding mentor, like finding mentors. Right for you yourself. Yeah, finding yeah. mentors and like. Yeah. Um. Yeah, possibly like doing particular courses, traveling like yeah. more to do workshops, like saying yes to more opportunities, like those things. I sort of, um, yeah, I didn't really see the benefit in them at that point in time because I was so busy just doing my job. So I didn't really think that far forward. I was just like kind of being in the moment, like day by day. So now, mm-hmm. so now I feel this like overarching sense of like doing every like doing everything and connecting with everybody and um, to make up for lost time. But, I mean, I did have great opportunities and experience from what I was doing already, but I think I would have liked to be a little bit more. I can also, I think I can assume that that servicing others, that altruism has probably actually helped you get to the position now where people are surrounding you and you're a part of a collective, which is in turn upskilling yourself you're doing yes. it organically again yeah yeah so the opposite that like i would say that that experience of the lesson that you just imparted now is pretty would be rarely said by an actor whose actors are usually focused on themselves so yes. it's a little bit a little bit different but that's that's cool um instead of asking about advice for actors what do you identify or see that maybe the most common mistake or the e- most easily rectified mistake made by up-and-coming actors or up-and-coming talent um, that in the, whether it be in the PR world or just their careers in general um, I think 
it probably also ties into the into the patient's element okay. and to possibly not trusting the people around them. Mm. I think sometimes, you know, when you're young and, and hungry, like you want to do everything yeah. and that you're maybe a little less discerning yeah. in the choices that you make right. or in the way that you harness your social media uh-huh. um, and sometimes in the pursuit for that success, um, you know, you don't set yourself up that well um, for people to take you, you know, really like seriously. seriously um, and seriously in the sense of like being a legitimate actor, mm-hmm. not just being someone who is hungry for the, the attention. Yeah. Um, and I think that's definitely do one you of the... Do you legitimately see and believe that social media is an asset and or something that really moves the needle or do you think it's ultimately pretty superfluous? I think it's really time-consuming. Yeah, for what it is, what you return. For what it is, yeah. Yeah. I think that I I know that I know an Australian director who who directed an American film here um, a couple of years ago that recently came out, and they cast their entire cast off social media. And so that was an interesting... I Mm. I sort of followed that. I was like, that was an interesting experiment to see, Mm. like, does that Translate. translate? And I think in some instances, yes, it does. Um, depending on if that per- like the material really reflects that person. Mm-hmm. Um, other times I've seen someone with a huge social media following clearly be cast in something for that, but it hasn't tra- it mm-hmm. hasn't translated. So I think it's definitely changed the notion of PR though, because mm-hmm. everyone in a way is their own publicist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they can control their own message, which I think is is in- is interesting. Um, and also it's as a result of that and online, you know, media has contracted. I mean, America's still a massive market, but Australia, you know, I look at a media list from like 20 or well, 15 years ago um, versus the media list today and like half those magazines and half those titles aren't even on that. So wow. it's definitely like a, a different, um, it's a different space. So I think it's just, you've got to navigate it, you know, very care, like very carefully because mm-hmm. everything that exists online can permanently exist online. Okay. Um, and I also think that other mistakes is just, yeah, not getting the right, not surrounding yourself with the right people and getting too many yes people on board too early, um, people that aren't necessarily going to objectively tell you that that is not appropriate thing to wear, that's not appropriate behaviour. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I guess in, yeah, as a producer, as a publicist in talent management, like the biggest thing sometimes is honesty and I think if you have that if you're if that person who is advising you is honest with you then I think you're already like 10 steps ahead of yeah of a lot of people so yeah okay yeah great appropriate given the the name of the podcast yeah (laughs) um are there any other insights or pieces of advice that you wanted to share or that you really feel people should know that now you have the opportunity to do so um, I think I definitely encourage um, everyone to seek mentor, like mentorship. Okay. Um, I have found that to be like the most rewarding and beneficial, like part of my career to date. Do you do it explicitly, um, or have you done? Has it been like an organic friendship that people have just sort of yeah. naturally offered? Yeah. Well, I you know once again like to be honest, I didn't. I didn't even realize that was available to me. Right. Like I just honestly, like in my twenties, I didn't know that I could 
and maybe being female as well, I didn't know that I could ask, I, you know, I could ask that of somebody else. I didn't know that someone would be willing to, um, to share that mm. time and knowledge with me. You know, also it's competitive industry. I didn't think people were um, open to that, but I've been really lucky to have, um, you know, connected with amazingly generous, you know, women who have many years of experience and have been mm. very um, kind and thoughtful and helpful and, you know, the reward of that has been for both parties, like, you know, having a fresh voice and having a more experienced voice, both parties learn from each other. Yeah. Um, and as a result, like I, I have mentored people before and have had mentees because of, I've enjoyed that process that, yeah. you know, uh, really um, encourage that and feel very passionate about being able to pass that on I've always been like you know like our company and like everything I do just feel like um collaboratively it's far more enjoyable mm. and so I guess the more collaborations you have um, I mean, it's, in many it's, ways, it's probably easier to wait around with other people than it yeah. is by yourself so yeah make it a collaborative experience yeah you. but I think the other thing would be and this is a piece of advice someone uh very prolific told me many 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 years ago and it's been like such a good rule of, of thumb. Um, you know, you can only really ask someone for a favor once. Um, you mm. know, you connect and you see it at you see it in various shapes or forms. And yeah. people go, "Oh, that's so and so in the room. I'm going to go up to them. I'm like pitching my project. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that." Yeah. And you're like, "Oh, just slow down, slow down." Yeah. Um, you know, it's all about relationships. Yeah. And you know, you meet those you meet those people that could really help you or you know, change your tra- trajectory or, you know. In the long term. The long Don't term. Be so, patient even with a relationship. Yeah, too. and yeah, so just think about, like, advice. think about that person that you can only ask each of those person one piece of advice, mm-hmm. I mean, one favour. Like, mm-hmm. one, can you introduce me to this person or mm-hmm. can I come and shadow you on this or can you please, can I please read that script of yours? I'd love insight mm-hmm. uh, into that screenwriter. Or, you know, you can, and if you do that, then... Yeah, people are really willing to people. You don't. Um, yeah, I found that very beneficial in in thinking that, so that I approach everybody as a colleague, as a just another person, not as, as a human, yeah, as not as it's something you can use. Yes, yeah. which is a lot of what yeah. the industry is about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Everyone's like, who's in the room? And yeah, so yeah. sometimes I think not being that way actually makes you stand out more than being that way. Yeah, I love that. That's a fantastic way to end the conversation. Um, Anything different now with uh, I think I feel I need a want versus what you had at the beginning of the chat? Um, I definitely need a coffee now. Okay. Um, And I, I, I... I can give you an I hope. Yeah, great. I hope that I made sense um, and that I was coherent um, because I don't do these very often. But, um, yeah, it was lovely to chat to you, Alex. Thank you so much, Jess. Thank you guys for listening. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed that chat. And I'm sure that you guys enjoyed that chat as much as I did. And until next time.